You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in, in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally, and happy Thanksgiving to you today. Uh, thanks so much to you. Also joining us in studio today, former Toronto Maple Leaf, Washington Capitol, and uh, I think you spent some time with the Sabres, didn't you? I did. <laughs> Mr. Louis Franceschetti. Good morning, Louis. How are you this Good morning? Good morning, guys. How come I'm not mentioning you're the same breath as you guys in the morning here? I feel like I've been here full time. Happy Thanksgiving, Lou. <laughs> Happy Thanks, Thanksgiving, guys. Lou. <laughs> Anyways, uh, to all our listeners, welcome to uh, what uh, promises to be the most important day in Canadian rugby history. Uh, the Toronto Wolfpack is playing in the million-pound game. This afternoon at Lamport Stadium, I look out the studio windows, Naz, and it's right across the street there, and they're setting up. Uh, weather doesn't look like the greatest for the game, uh, but hopefully between now and 2 o'clock this afternoon, uh, the weather conditions will improve. Uh, shortly after the second break, we'll be talking to BBC correspondent Dave Woods, who's uh, going to bring us up to speed on rugby. And this game is actually being broadcast all over the world in prime time in England. It's an important game. The Toronto Wolfpack we're right in the thick of it, Naz, right in Liberty Village. We'll have an opportunity to chat about that. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs. First of all, let's let's talk, because I took the opportunity to wear my Irish. Had 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 to put a little Irish testosterone in the in the uh, in the, in the studio. I this think morning. Alabama scored sixty one <laughs> last night, didn't they? For those of C3, you watching, for those of you watching us on the internet, <laughs> www.zoomerradio.ca. I'm proudly wearing my Notre Dame Fighting Irish gear this morning in celebration of a wonderful victory last night against Virginia Tech. And Naz, of course, you're wearing your Roll Tide gear and your Toronto Raptors. Uh, and I know, Lewis, you're a big uh, Bama guy. And, uh, you know, it was a great victory for the Irish. i got to get my plug in there. They're on a bit of a roll. Uh, the change in quarterback to Ian Book has made uh, all the difference in the world. But uh, I think... Uh, uh, everybody's fighting for number two. Alabama's in a class of its own. Well, you know, they definitely are. But also, you, you look at the teams that they're playing, uh, they really haven't met a, a team that's in the top ten. I think uh, right now, uh, Notre Dame has probably had the toughest schedule of, of anybody up there. Uh, we'll see in the, the month of uh well, more or less, it's going to be at the end of this month when they got LSU, Mississippi State, and uh, and Auburn. Do they uh, actually get any? Do, uh, they got Georgia in their uh, sights at any point in time in the season because that's the only team I, I can see them. The, the only time they're going to play Georgia is going to be in the SEC uh, championship, championship game. game. And okay. e- even that game, I think the loser, depending on where everybody else is, uh, both teams will probably end up going for the national championship. That's how good the, those two teams are. Then you've got uh, obviously Notre Dame's who played really well, and their their big game is going to be USC and SC. California yep. at the la- uh, the last game of the season. Uh, but Oklahoma um, blew it yesterday by losing to Texas, and then obviously you got Clemson, who's uh, who's still they've got four guys on that front line that can 
possibly go in the first round this year in the draft. Yeah, with this, uh, and we'll get away from college football shortly. As we <laughs> a lot of leaf topics we have to talk about, but I don't get I don't get the opportunity to, that often to toot uh, to toot the horn of the Fighting Irish uh, football team. But this, from what I've seen so far, um, and it's all subject. I mean, to uh, you know, they've got some rival uh, rivalry games, but they're games that. Against some of the teams like Pittsburgh and Syracuse, not upper echelon teams, but these teams, Notre Dame's the game on their schedule that they look forward to. And if they can beat Notre Dame, it's almost like they've had a successful season. So Notre Dame's got to be. But this is the best Notre Dame team I've seen, at least since the since the year 2012, since the Golson team, where Alabama sort of burst my bubble in the championship game. They got game. smacked around that. They got game. smacked around that, but a lot of teams get smacked around by Alabama <laughs> Nez, so, uh, but this seems like a, a different Notre Dame team. It's, certainly since they brought the new quarterback in, um, we'll see how it goes. They looked good last year and then they got blown out by Miami and dribbled away the rest of the season. I think they beat LSU in one of the bowl games, did they not? Yeah, they did. But yeah. you know, let's, let's not forget Ohio State here. Even though Ohio State shouldn't have beat Penn State two weeks ago, uh, you know, you got to put all you got to put them in the same breath as uh, as Notre Dame, and you know I'm impressed the way uh, Notre Dame is playing because they've got a great defense, and the, the one thing that they were missing and the inconsistency of their quarterback yeah. with uh, with Book coming in and, and really giving them a passing game where the other quarterback uh, really didn't uh, all he had was the. Uh, it was using his legs. And Alabama was in the same shoe the last two years, even though they were 26-2. and two, Jalen Hurts knew he could get himself out of trouble. And this year, with him being the backup, he's actually learning how to throw the ball. And he did a pretty good job yesterday against Arkansas. But that, that was the missing key last year because teams never respected the passing game from Alabama. Now, it's more or less you got to respect everything because uh, Tua, he'll, he'll throw it down your throat. And if he doesn't, he'll just give it to Harris, he'll give it to uh, Jacobs, or he'll even give it to the thick kid uh, Robinson, and he'll run it down your throat. So uh, they're, they're a multidimensional team this year, which is scary for other teams to face. Certainly but, is. Uh, again, the games have to be played on the field. We'll see what happens. Ness, let's, uh, let's talk some hockey, um, our national sport. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, obviously um, are uh, driving the needle in uh, in in sports discussions in uh, in the Greater Toronto area and, and in the hockey world in a lot of ways. And the big story, um, uh, of course, is William Nylander. He hasn't signed. Um, we're two games into the season. They lost last night against the Ottawa Senators, uh, which doesn't make a lot of people in this area very happy. Um, of course, I'm sure it's one that, game. I, I get it. I'm sure the, but they haven't. You know, to be to be fair, for a team that's a Stanley Cup contender, they haven't looked all that great. I mean, they 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 looked okay last night. They looked better than they did against Montreal. And interestingly enough, they lost last night. But I agree with you. It's an 82 game schedule. I, I'm not going to get my shorts tied up in a knot over over a couple of games. Uh, but um, you know, it's last night's game. You know, a couple of mental lapses at the wrong time, and uh, you know, uh, Thomas Shabbat or Chabot or however you pronounce his name turned uh, a Zhinigov inside out on on uh, on the fourth goal, and that didn't look too good, and sort of exposed where we thought the Leafs might have a problem. 
this year. But so I'll turn it over to you first, Naz, and uh, then to you, Lou. Well, they played uh, without, without getting uh, uh, a little bit too uh, crazy here. Your reaction after the first two well, games? Well, they played two games, and I think there was one hit in, in the first two games by Kadri. Ten minutes into the third period was the first hit last night, and Louis talked about this about the Leafs, and he thought they were missing sandpaper, and they may be because they don't look uh, tough enough. They really don't, and other teams are going to get them. Lewis, you know, I was up there last night watching it from uh, from our box, and and there's a few alumni guys out there, and the thing is, is that with the way the game is evolving right now, nobody's finishing your checks. You're, you mentioned this, the Shabbat goal uh, back when I played. If you went out to the, to the point, man, and you turned away, you weren't playing the rest of the game, and. Shabbat turned the guy inside out only because he went for a loop instead of going right through the guy and making sure he got rid of the puck. And that's where this game is evolving. There's there's no physical contact at all. Uh, again, uh, Nick Kiprios comes up there and we kind of chuckle because obviously we're at the other end of the of the spectrum on the way we played the game. He says, well, there's probably more toughness in our alumni box than there actually is on both teams that are on the ice. And it's just, it's just too bad that the, the fans are getting a great game but they're not seeing the other part of the game where if, if there was a little bit of physical contact, a little bit, just finishing your checks when you had to finish your check instead of going for a little loop and, and making the fans going, you know, they're off their seats uh, with the great plays that they, they both teams make. It's just it's frustrating for an alumnus to watch that because we were raised a little bit different than the way these guys are raised. Well, I, I, not only is it frustrating for an alumnus to watch it, I think it's frustrating for a fan to watch it. I'll be, I'll be quite frank with you. I, I, I think it's good that we got... Um, um, the craziness out of the game, just the staged fights. You know the you know the two guys that you know they just dropped their gloves at the faceoff circle, and the only reason they they existed on these teams was to fight. Um, that's gone from the game, and 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 I don't have a problem with that. But when you get rid of the physicality of the game, that's a different thing. Um, and you know, it just—it's after a while, it just—it just—it just seems to become robotic. I mean, the skill level is incredible. I'm not—I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize the skill level of these players today. The skating is phenomenal. You watch Connor McDavid skate, you know, and you know he, anybody, yeah, really, yeah, the, you know, top, but, yeah, the top players. Connor are, McDavid's at a different level. Yeah. He, he evokes memories of Bobby Orr in 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 in, in so many ways. Um, but where's where are the where are the Larry Robinsons, the guys that stood guys up at the blue line? Uh, they're gone from the game. And you know, you talk about the Dennis Pod fans. These guys were highly skilled players, all stars, Hall of Famers, but they had physicality to their game. That's gone. Where is it? The only guy you see it from is Tom Wilson, and he's he's taking out heads. And he got twenty game suspension. Should have got a year suspension. He's the one the Stanley Cup last year. Washington was pretty physical in the series. And that's why. And that's you know I don't know if you guys were listening to Brian Burke on 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 the fan this week, right? And uh, you know what, Burkey, you know what, he's uh, he comes from the old school. Uh, let's call a spade a spade. And, you know, we're talking about his Anaheim Duck teams, uh, especially the team that won the Stanley Cup. And, he, you know, Naz, you're right. He, he made the point, and you're making the point now, that uh, the reason the Washington Capitals won the Cup last year is, okay, obviously you've got Ovechkin, obviously you've got Kuznetsov, obviously you've got uh, Carlson, uh, even, you won't even say Braden Holtby or, uh, or Backstrom or whatever. 
but the guys who won the Stanley Cup, aren't they the, the, the Wilsons and the Devontae Smith-Pellies? And uh, Ovechkin, uh, skilled but tough. Um, they, they're a load. When they, when they come in, when, I mean, they've got a lot of big, scrappy guys on their forward line. So, and Berkey is making the point. He thinks that's where the Leafs... They, they seem to be lacking that. I've said that right from the first day. <laughs> it, it's just especially when they got rid of Matt Martin. But again, it comes down to you can't even stand. You know, you talk about the Larry Robinsons. You talk about the Denny Pot fans. The Gabrunson stands a, a, a player from Calgary up, and he's got to fight the guy. So anytime there's any physical uh, contact beyond what we're used to having, everybody's got to drop their gloves and and fight. Which this game. I was told by, by friends of mine when I played in Washington that we're the crazy players. Like what, Hockey players are the crazy players moving at that speed and hitting and making contact. And you look at the contact that they have in football, they think that we're the crazy ones instead of them. That's how, that's how if this game is played the proper way, like sometimes it's played out in the Western Conference with Nashville, L.A., San Jose, uh, Vegas, all those teams that have big, strong guys that can skate. But there's a physical nature to the game. And that's the beauty of the game. Sure, you, you can have pond hockey, then move the game out to the pond where nobody hits anybody. And, and you know, going back to the physicality of the Toronto Meeps, and I don't want it. You know, I, I, it's only been two games. Uh, you know, it's 82-game season. they they got to find their groove. they got to find their sea legs. Uh, there's no question there's a lot of talent. So I, you know, I, I'm not going to go crazy over the fact that, they, that they've lost two games. Uh, not, sorry, lost one game. It feels and, like they lost two. Though. Well, they, they got outplayed in the first game. Um, and the only reason they won that game is the, Toronto, the Leafs stars are better than the Montreal stars. So Matthews and Tavares step up to a different level. But um, the one area I thought where the Leafs would have a problem this year was their defense. Um Connor Carrick's doing well in Dallas. And, 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 and well, Travis Dermott <laughs> seems to have been their best defenseman so far. But uh, and I want you to react to this, guys. Uh, my concern with the defense was, and and I think it it was exposed in the Montreal game to a certain not exposed, but uh, this is what I saw in the Montreal game, which I saw too much last year, and I'm I'm worried that I'm going to see too much of it this year. Leafs have a they, they, they get bottled up in their own end. The puck goes in, and the defense seems to be scrambling around. They can't get the puck off the other team, and they can't get the puck out of their own zone. Um, for much, much too much against two teams, more so the Montreal game. You know, Montreal's not one of the best teams in the league. Let's be, let's be frank, guys, and uh, neither is Ottawa. Um, what are you seeing on that Leaf defense that's of any concern, guys? Well, Are you seeing the, the same thing I'm seeing? You know, there's always a concern on the defense part of it. Mind you, remember... Are we overreacting? We are overreacting to a certain extent because we got a couple of new D back there that I have to buy into the uh, Babcock system. But you got to remember, playing defense, it's a five-man unit. It's not uh, strictly 2D. So if, if one guy makes a mistake, somebody is always, or nine times out of ten, going to come back and, and try to cover uh, his rear end. So he doesn't, And then it opens up somebody else. So I just think that they have to more or less, they, they, they've got to contain. Last year, they were the worst team with shots against, uh, and, and Anderson was left out to dry with probably, I think we had the worst uh, amount of shots on, on goal last year. Uh, he faced something like 35 shots a game. Maybe yeah, he was third in the league. It comes to, the wingers got to do their job. They got to get the puck out when they have a chance. The D have to more or less contain and 
use a little bit of physical physicality and, and finish your checks with with these guys. Anyways, guys, we're going to come back to this discussion. We haven't certainly haven't finished talking about the Leafs. Uh, we've got to go to break. It is the most important day in Canadian rugby history. Uh, Toronto Wolfpack in the million pound game. Uh, if they win the game, they go to the English Super League. The game's being broadcast around the world. Uh, we'll be talking to Dave Woods of the BBC shortly after our second ba- break. We'll be right back, and uh, I think we'll continue this Leafs discussion, guys. Be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I travelled to Italy to explore my Italian heritage. I'm in Modena, birthplace of Pavarotti. When I knocked on my cousin's door, he opened it and said... My long-lost cousin, you finally come home. You must now marry my neighbor's sister. I said I had to get something in the car and never went back. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. And joining us this morning, Mr. Lou Franceschetti. Okay, guys. Let's get into the topic, the real topic uh, of discussion amongst the Leafs. Uh, William Nylander, um, they haven't got his uh, ink on a contract yet. They haven't got his signature on a contract yet. The Surprisingly, a, a great deal of this negotiation hasn't been leaked. Uh, it seems like neither party is trying to use the press uh, to extract advantage, but of the stories that seem to uh, be circulating, these are the numbers, guys, and I'll turn it over to you first, Naz. Apparently, from what, uh, what, uh, what you're reading and what's being tweeted and what's being written, uh, Nylander seems to have, or his, uh, his camp, which would be his agent and his father, from what we can tell, uh, they seem to have dug their heels in on a number that's between eight and eight and a half million. 
Uh, Leafs seem management, Dubas and Shanahan and whoever has to approve these decisions seem to have dug their heels in in a number that's probably between six and six and a half million. That's pretty far apart. Uh, Naz, uh, your reaction to the entire um, entire situation? Well, they have Pasternak is at 6.7. Ellers is at 6. Uh, Draxidel is at 8.5. And they're making the Edmonton mistake. Edmonton made a mistake signing him at that contract. So the Leafs shouldn't have to pay for that. Nylander's worth between 6 and 6.5. And we talked about this last week. And that's where he should be. He should sign and get back, as why, far as I'm concerned. Why hasn't he signed, Lou? I think he signed. He hasn't signed because, uh, no, putting it more bluntly, he's very selfish. He realizes that so-called, he said it this week in the newspaper, I've got to take care of myself. He oh, doesn't that's realize... That's not being selfish, it, Lou. It is, it is that, being, that's being, that's being, you know, uh, that's being economically rational. But go ahead, finish your point. He's got a chance here to make nine... Anywhere close to ninety to a hundred million dollars in the next ten years, he doesn't realize that individuals don't win championships. He's got a great chance to win a championship here with Toronto if he if he would jump in. Even even if it's a five year deal at anywhere from six to seven million dollars, um, compared to a two year deal at uh, at six to six and a half, he, his money's always going to be there at the end of the rainbow. You know, there are certain guys that, that are going to take less now. Let me put up better numbers than I did and show these guys that I'm worth the 8 to $9 million that, that I want to get paid. And at the end of the, at the, end of the day, Marner's going to go probably the same way. And then you've got to worry about Matthews next year. Yeah. Like, what happens if Matthews goes past July 1st without a contract? Yeah. Um, let me tell you my take on it. Um, if he is asking for eight eight and a half million dollars and he's gonna and he's going to fall on his sword at those numbers. Uh, I got to think his agent's not stupid. And, you know, his his father may not be thinking about it objectively, but my understanding of his father is it was Michael Nylander, right? Yes. Yeah, he's a pretty shrewd guy. And apparently he was pretty tough when he negotiated his own contracts. Uh, if they're going to fall on a sword of eight to eight and a half million dollars, they have to know. They have to know that Kyle Dubas and the Leafs are not going to come anywhere near that number. I just can't see it. Um, and and they have to know what the market... I mean, he's not Leon Dreisaitl. He's not. He hasn't He hasn't performed to that level yet. Well, Leon's only had one good year. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, he, he signed after McDavid. the one good year. He played with McDavid, too. Okay. But he signed after the one good year. And as you said, Naz, that contract was probably a mistake. But that's fine. So who do you want to evaluate? Who are his real comparables? His real comparables, as you've said, are Ehlers in Winnipeg and and Pasternak in Boston. And Goudreau, right? And Johnny Goudreau. Yeah. Okay. Those guys have numbers between six and six and a half million dollars. So when you start this negotiation, to me, it, it, it just it seems obvious. It's it's the number is six to six and a half million dollars, and it's a fair number. It's a fair number, based on. Uh, all the all the circumstances. Pasternak, man, he, he looked like an all-world player in the playoffs last year. Um, is Nylander a better player than Pasternak? Well, we don't know yet, but results so far are not better than Pasternak's. So the number six. So you want to dig your heels in at eight million? Why? Well, you're not going to get a deal done with the hope that you're going to push Dubas to what? The seven, seven and a half. 
I can't see it happening. Dubas is he, he's he's you know he's got to think two steps ahead. He's 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 got to think Matthews and Marner. And if you bring in Nylander at eight million dollars, and you bring in then you got to bring in Matthews at twelve, and you got to bring in Marner at ten. You have no money left. Would any team like, pick like up, how would, are you going to do that? It's would, impossible. Wally, would any team pick up Nylander at that rate? At eight million dollars, uh, no, no, nobody's going to give him an offer sheet. And you know, you know, you make great points. And I, I really, there, there, there's two circumstances here. Nylander's agent is the same agent as Johnny Goudreau. If you talk to eighty, ninety percent of the people in hockey business, they would take Johnny Goudreau in a heartbeat over Nylander. At to, this point, at, at, at this, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. J- Johnny Goudreau was outstanding. Exactly. Oh, no. Okay, he's just a different yeah. guy. He's electrifying. Okay. The second thing that I look at, I look at Mike, Michael Nylander here. Michael brought his two kids over here to play with the Mississauga uh, Steelheads. And he actually went to them and said, listen, you want my kids to come and play in the OHL? I have to be an assistant coach. So their show, there goes to show the, the, the power, if you want to call it, that he has uh, over certain teams. But he can't do that with the Leafs. You know, he, I think he's no, the main no, guy. Yeah, he's the main guy. When your agent... And you're representing Johnny Goudreau, and you're putting both contracts or you're putting both players together. Who's a better hockey player at, at this stage of the game? I think it's Johnny Goudreau, head and heels over over Nylander. At this point. At, at this point. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to denigrate uh, Nylander. I mean, he's, no, he's an all-world okay. talent. So, he is. So if I'm, like, if, I'm Michael, if I'm William Nylander, give me two years to prove that I'm better than Johnny Goudreau. So they want to be paid before they've produced, right? Well, <laughs> then if he wants to get paid, let, he's, he's going to wreck the whole salary structure with the with the Toronto Maple Leafs on their on their goal. I, I don't and think their plan he, what, yeah. what could the they, what could the Leafs get for him in a trade? I'm wondering. Can they get a? a uh, they're not going to get a uh, top-notch defenseman. They're going to get an above-average defenseman for sure. Uh, I've, I've got a deal that it might be a little bit one-sided right now. I, I would deal him and Gardner to uh, to Vancouver for Gabrunson plus somebody else. It gives the Leafs a big stud, right-handed shot on the fenceman. Gives them a little sandpaper, whatever. And then, but I, I, uh, you know, Walter, again, I, I got, I got to believe that there's, I, I got to believe there's some rationality amongst uh, NHL GMs. Though sometimes they'll do the craziest things that would uh, lead me to a different conclusion. But I think the general consensus amongst us and probably amongst most general managers and you think they know the game a hell of a lot better than we do and they've got they know what's on their payroll they got to think they got capologists they know what they can spend they got access to all this information we don't have access to but it just seems to me that Nylander digging in at eight eight and a half million dollars if I'm a GM how, how can I possibly say that he's worth that kind of money but you know you know the way GMs are, Lou, and you and, and you know better than I. You know, there's you know some guy out but there wait, says I I need I need to make the playoffs. I'm one player away, or I'm 65 points away from making the playoffs. Wally, so I'm going to roll the dice with this guy. You got to look at Evander Kane. What he signed for? He I think he signed for 7.7 7 million. No, and less than that. No, it was up there in the sevens anyway. Yeah. But Evander and, uh, King scored 50 goals. Yeah. Didn't he? When, when but he's he, or, a troubled player for the last yeah. Yeah. two or three let, years. Let, let me throw one theory at you, and then we've got to go to break. And uh, We've got uh, Dave Woods coming up, BBC Rugby League correspondents, and after the uh, – after the, uh, we want to talk about the Toronto Wolfpack because it is is an important game. Let me throw this theory out at you guys. Um, Nylander doesn't want to sign in Toronto. 
and he's throwing out this eight, eight and a half million dollar number because he knows Dubas won't accept it. And the reason he doesn't want to sign in Toronto is he's reading the tea leaves. And he says, I'm always going to be the number four guy in Toronto. I'm never going to be the alpha dog in Toronto. They have Austin Matthews, who's the number one pick overall. I'm never going to, I'm never going to jump him in the line. And now we've got Tavares and Mitch Marner, who are local kids. They're Toronto guys. And, and they're also damn good hockey players. So Nylander's looking at it and, say, and saying, I'm never going to be the alpha dog in this city. I got to get out of here. Your reaction? You know what? Uh, that's a good way to look at it. Um, and again, it, 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 that could be his dad that's that's talking right now because you got to put you got to put more or less apples with apples. And again, it comes down to Goudreau, it comes down to Pasternak, and comes down to Ehlers. Ehlers was drafted one pick after Nylander, which back then I said uh, Nick Ehlers would have been a better pick for the Leafs at that time than than Nylander, but. With with Nealer doing what he's doing, and I'll keep this quick, that gives guys a, an opportunity to step in and take that position away from him, saying, "Hey guys, we don't need Nealer. We got Kapanen, we got Johansson, we got all these guys. We got uh, Tyler Ennis that are that are here that are doing the job. Now, if those guys don't step up and do the job that Nealer is expected to do." That more that's going to tie the Leafs' hands and say, "Listen, guys, we need lead." You're still Nylander. not going to pay him eight million dollars. No, last, you're not. You're going to pay him. But you're going to come last down, word I, before we go to break. Yeah, I think they, they're going to sign him eventually. I think within the next couple of weeks. How? Uh, it just I, can't last more than that. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to leave you with that thought. December first, right? Yeah, to sign I'm going to leave you with that thought. We're going to talk to it's it's Toronto Wolfpack Sunday in Toronto, and it's. Uh, it's the, ga- it's the rugby game of the ages in Toronto. Uh, it's taking place at Lamport Stadium. I stare out the studio window and I can see the TV truck setting up. Everybody's getting ready for the game. The game will be broadcast around the world. There's important stakes right after the break. We'll be talking to BBC correspondent Dave Woods. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I travelled to Italy to explore my Italian heritage. I have family in Caprese, home of Michelangelo, who famously painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It took him four years. We must be distant relatives, because it took me almost as long to paint the ceiling of my garage. I'm sure he did a bunch of nudes, but I did two coats. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. 
This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto in the new AM740. 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto, live video streaming on the internet, www.zoomerradio.ca. We are, in fact, in the middle of Liberty Village. I look out the window, and they are setting up for the big game, the big rugby game this afternoon, the biggest rugby game in Canadian rugby history. They were, of course, talking about the Toronto Wolfpack in the million-pound game against the London Broncos. Uh, we're pleased to welcome to the Nazanwali Sports Hour, BBC Rugby League correspondent Dave Woods. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Good morning. I'm very excited, actually, because um, I'm, I'm just so looking forward to this match. A little bit of history being made in terms of a rugby league over here as well. You know, if Toronto are in the big time in Super League next year as a result of winning this game, then wow, what a story. What a story. Well, it's, uh, uh, we, we were following the story here in, uh, in Toronto, and it's uh, the Wolfpack have become more and more popular uh, throughout their history, and they have a very, very loyal crowd. And, uh, and when, I say, uh, when I say this may be the biggest day in Canadian rugby history, uh, that's probably not hyperbole, Dave. Um, it really probably it is. Uh, the Toronto Wolfpack are a great story over here. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit from your perspective. Uh, well, uh, it's, we, they call it the million pound game, number one. So if you can please, please uh, educate our listeners a little bit. Tell us a little bit about okay. why this game today is so important. Okay, well, we're going to have a restructure of Rugby League next year, so this is the last ever million-pound game. And they call it the million-pound game because that's what it's worth. It's probably worth a little bit more than that, but um, it's a title that goes back into history. Um, because at the, the end of the season, as, as your listeners may know, that the bottom four teams in the big league, the Super League, uh, get sucked into a big playoff against the top four teams in the Championship, which is the league that Toronto have been playing in this year. Uh, three of those sides either stay up in Super League or go up, and then they decide on the fourth team by having this million-pound game. The fourth team in that league against the fifth team in the league playing off against each other, and that's Toronto against London today, and they are two championship sides, so it would represent promotion if either of those win today. Now, if you think that's a complicated system, that's <laughs> one of the reasons why the whole structure is changing next year. From next year, it's, it's a lot more simple, but Toronto might not need to worry about that because I think they've got a heck of a chance of winning today, of being in Super League. And it's just an astonishing story. I mean, we first heard about this Toronto Rugby League side three years ago, a guy called Eric Perez, who I think is a Torontonian, who had this big dream of setting up a rugby league team. And everybody over here went, oh, yeah, 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 we'll see when that happens. And then, of course, they get introduced to the to the League One and they win it. They win it by a mile. They, they're just... A real eye-catching winners of that competition. And suddenly people start to sit up a little bit and go, this, this dream is becoming a reality. Let's see how they go in the championship. That'll be a test. 
And boy, they have gone terrifically in the championship this year, culminating in what's going to happen today. And if they get into Super League in two years of existence, you know, it's just an absolutely astonishing story. I mean, just imagine the, the level of if suddenly you were faced with a prospect of an English hockey team coming playing <laughs> at your top level next year, not only coming playing at your top level next year, but because of the funding behind it, because of the way the whole franchise works, having a really good chance of winning the Stanley Cup next year. You know, that's what we're talking about in terms of Toronto coming to Rugby League, to English Rugby League next year. So as astonishing as you're finding it, we're finding it even more astonishing. But it's, it's set pulses racing. You know, it's just a fantastic story. Absolutely fantastic story. Dave, how big are the crowds there in uh, England when it comes to the first they range. They range. I mean, we've got a grand final next week, um, which is the ultimate prize. It, it, again, like I said, it's your Stanley Cup, but it's not a playoff series of playoffs. It's, it's a one-off final next week at Manchester United's Old Trafford Ground. And that will be a sellout, so you're talking about 70,000, 80,000. We'll watch that. Um, on a weekly basis, your big clubs, your Wiggins, your Leeds, your St. Helens, you know, they're around 20,000, uh, 20,000 for the big, big games. But then you go down a little bit and you've got clubs um, lower down in the Super League who might be only getting five, 6,000 a week. So the fact that Toronto are already drawing bigger crowds um, in the championship in, in virgin territory for Rugby League are drawing bigger crowds than some of the lower Super League teams already. You know, I mean, that, that speaks volumes about the work that's been done behind the scenes there, about how they've gone about marketing it, the merchandise and all the rest of it. You know, it's, it, it's just on every level. On every level, it's just been a real eye-opener. We're talking to Dave Woods, BBC correspondent for uh, Rugby League Football. And uh, Dave, uh, you know, we're getting a sense of uh, the game over here and and what's happening. Um, But give us a sense of um, how the game is. And I understand Sky Sky Sports is broadcasting the game nationally in England. And they they absolutely demanded that this game has to start at 2 p.m. our time, so it could be in prime time in England. And I also noticed uh, the Wolfpack has tweeted uh, tweeted this morning that the game, a reminder to fans around the world, the game's being broadcast basically around the world. It's in Canada, it's on Sky Sports, it's in, being broadcast in France, on Fox, in the States, in Satanta, in Asia. It, it, it's really a big game. Give us a sense of how big of a game it is in England. Well, it's, it, it's a big game over here in, in that, you know, Sky are our main pay-per-view uh, broadcasters. We at the BBC will be commentating on it again as well for a highlights program that will go out on BBC One, I think it'll be, or BBC Two, but one of the two big networks anyway, uh, later on. So these are not small channels. You know, this is not a, a, a kind of a, a digital channel which, which, you know, has the potential to reach millions, but in reality there's only a couple of hundred watching. These are big, big channels in which there will be a lot of people watching. So um, it, it's, it, it, it's, and it, it's, the profile is growing and growing as well. I think um, we had in, in English Rugby League this year, for the very first time, we have a knockout competition called the Challenge Cup, which has been going since 1896. This year, the French side, Catalan Dragons, won it. And the profile, it's the first time ever a non-English side has won the Challenge Cup. The profile the game has had since that has been phenomenal. They were invited to go to the New Camp, Barcelona FC's ground. Barcelona FC want them to play a match there at the New Camp, so the profile's gone through the roof. And I think what will happen with Toronto Wolfpack is that there's a lot of interest at the moment. You know, there's a heck of a lot of interest from non-rugby league fans, from people who never normally watch the sport, who are quite curious to see what this is all about. 
But if Toronto win and get into Super League next year, you can expect that profile to increase multi multiplicitly because that is suddenly a huge story. To have a Canadian team playing in an English league on a weekly basis is just going to be phenomenal in terms of, you know, eyeballs suddenly switching onto this. And all the main TV channels will be will be, will be wanting a piece of this. Absolutely no doubt. And I think the fact is that the, the, the football deal, the, the, the TV deal at the moment with the Rugby League is that it's split between the 12 Super League clubs, essentially. What Toronto has said is, we come in next year, we don't want a slice of that because we're quite confident that we can sell to a North American market. So again, that tells you the potential from today's game. Uh, Dave, uh, you, you alluded to the one point that um, Toronto, the Wolfpack, I mean, they've, they've, they've come in a couple of years ago, and, and I'm sure this has been a topic of discussion on this side of the pond um, when it comes to NFL football when it comes to uh, NHL hockey, we've always had this idea that the North American pro sports leagues would expand around the world, not just because, as I'm sure you're aware, the NHL and the NFL are, are playing games in Europe, like regular season games, but there's no franchises. The, the Toronto Wolfpack are, are breaking new ground. They are, in fact, the first transatlantic club in pro sports. Um, yeah. How's that worked out? It's um, it's been it's been that there have been the hurdles that they've had to overcome. So, for example, the rugby league season starts in February, um, uh, and that's not a great time to be playing <laughs> outdoor sports. Not in, in Toronto. Toronto, no, no. So um, they've they've had to play a tranche of games over here. Um, they've talked about if they get promotion, then it will not only be playing games in England. They'll take games on the road to the likes of Copenhagen, to the likes of Dublin, etc. So that's great for the you know increasing awareness of, of rugby league in those cities as well. Um, the, uh, and then, of course, having played a tranche of games in England, they go back to Lamport Stadium and play five, six, seven games on the bounce at home um, to kind of catch up and rebalance things. So that's great for them uh, because the travel for the Toronto team is minimised. You know, they can base themselves in the north of England for the England games and then obviously base themselves back in Toronto for the, for the games at Lamport. Um, so it, it's fine for them. One or two grumbles from one or two English clubs who've had to make the trip. But when they come back from having been there, I think nearly everyone you speak to as a coach or a player who's been out to Toronto come back with just tales of this is a fantastic experience what a great city we've just visited the fan base is unbelievable the way they support the game is unbelievable and they've loved every minute of it so I think there are one or two Super League clubs who are suddenly looking and thinking, good heavens, what are we going to be faced with next year in making that eight-hour trip across the Atlantic? But I think all the experience of the, 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 the Championship and League One clubs who have done it so far is to tell them this is going to be great. This is going to be great. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have a great time. So, you know, it's, it's a tough one, but I think people are prepared to take it on the chin because of the experience when they get there. Dave, the exposure that we had to rugby was in the Olympics, and I think the Toronto franchise uh, took advantage of that and uh, done a really good mm. job. What are your thoughts? Well, this is really interesting because you're talking to me about rugby. Hmm. In fact, there are two codes of rugby. This is, this is a bit like talking about football, you know, when there's American football and Canadian football. There are two codes of rugby, and what you're watching today is rugby league. What you saw in the Olympics was a variation rugby. of rugby union, but it's, it's quite close to rugby league. The two sports are, are different. They carry the same name, but they're, they're very different intrinsically. 
rugby league tends to be the faster, simpler game. Um, so it's easier to get into very quickly because it's not as technical. You don't have to understand what's going on in, in all the various technicalities. You can just pitch up at a game of rugby league. You might not understand the rules, but you know that you get the ball for six drives and you're going to try and score a try in those six drives. And if you don't, you probably kick it down the field and the other team have a go. And that's the basics. And if you understand that, then that's fine. But rugby league tends to be played in the north of England, um, mostly, and also in Australia. And, and just as a representation of how, how popular it is in Australia, the code of rugby league um, in New South Wales and, and, and Queensland especially, uh, the, the last, this last year, the four most watched programmes on TV in Australia, and we're talking about all programmes, not just sports, the four most watched programmes in Australia, three of them were rugby league matches. So that tells you how, you know, how big rugby league is in Australia. Rugby union is, is dying on its backside in, in Australia at the moment. In England, rugby union is probably the, the bigger code, but rugby league is there, the kind of the, 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 the working class sport, really, in the north of England, born out of the working class towns and cities back in 1895. But it's always survived and always flourishes and, and always keeps coming at you. Um, so that's the difference between the two sports. But when we, we take the sport to North America, it's kind of, it's great. It's a relief. It's refreshing because we're not bogged down in those cultural, social issues that the two codes of rugby league and rugby union have got themselves embraced in in the last century and a half. It, basically, if you're a rugby league fan, you're not very keen on rugby union. And if you're a rugby union fan, you're really not very keen on rugby league. <laughs> Whereas in, in North America, you know, there's no differential. You know, you can sit down. It's an oval shaped ball. The, the, the kind of the aesthetics are similar. You can just talk about rugby with all that baggage of years gone by, and that that is great as well. That that might represent some kind of a breakthrough in terms of breaking down the animosity between the two codes that we've had. We've been talking to Dave Woods, a BBC correspondent. We're talking about the Toronto Wolfpack. We're talking about the million-pound game this afternoon at Lamport Stadium, which is right across the street from our studio. Dave, uh, we actually, uh, my, my recollections of rugby are from high school. Um, Naz, and I are, Naz and I are a little bit older now, but uh, went to high school in the 70s. We actually played a game. We didn't call it rugby in those days. We called it rugger. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm sure my head has recovered for some of those scrums that I stuck my head into in those days. But uh, certainly we're, we're thrilled about the Toronto Wolfpack. We're thrilled about their success. And we've been thrilled to share that passion you, with you, Dave. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, we'll be watching the game. I know that you'll be working on the game. And uh, uh, hopefully we're, we're homers here. We have a rooting interest in the Toronto Wolfpack. And uh, hopefully they make it to the Super League. And hopefully... Hopefully uh, we get the opportunity to chat again, Dave. You've been so helpful in uh, helping us out with this story. Great to chat with you, fellas, and enjoy the game because it's going to be an absolute cracker and, uh, and go well, Toronto. Thanks so much, Dave. Uh, really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. That was uh, Dave Woods, BBC. There, uh, people are getting excited about the Wolfpack, Naz. I know we've been we've been chatting about them off and on, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll 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 let the story go to all our listeners. Uh, you know what? It's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, it's broadcast all over the world. It's an important game for the Wolfpack and for Canadian rugby, and it's right here at Lamport Stadium down in Liberty Village. Uh, should be a great afternoon of rugby. Game time is two p.m. I think two p.m. Yep. Eastern. Are we still daylight time? Yeah, we're still yep. daylight time, I believe. So uh, thrilled about that, and thrilled about uh, the fact that uh, the Toronto Wolfpack are making an impact around the world. And when we say we, well, you know, 
you know, to be fair, rugby's not hockey. I mean, let's, you know, but here's the interesting part. They, they've done some studies because the city of Toronto is now advertising Tourism Toronto over in England, and they're, and they're using the Wolfpack as part of that advertising. And if the, if the Wolfpack makes the Super League, they're talking about, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, supporters of the English teams coming over to Toronto to support their team and actually, you know, do a visit of the city. And they anticipate that will increase tourism from England 25% in one year if Toronto makes the Super League. So there's some economic benefits to this as well. Gentlemen, uh, we were talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. We were talking about William Nylander, and we were talking about my theory that... um, Perhaps Nylander doesn't want to sign here. Uh, it's a theory. Uh, I'm not sure I want to go crazy on it. But if he holds in at $8 million, um, I don't think the deal's going to get done. I, I just I can't foresee a situation where Kyle Dubas uh, is going to handcuff himself to William Nylander in an 8 to $8.5 million contract, because that creates way too many problems for him on a go-forward basis. So if Nylander actually is going to stick at that number, or anything north of $7 million, I think any stretch by Dubas, any stretch, if he really wants to make it happen and he feels he's caught between a rock and a hard place, he may move the needle to 6 6.7, 6.75. $7 million, mm, Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing that number, Lou and Naz. Uh, so if, if, if they want to hold up for $8 million, they ain't getting it as far as I'm concerned, which just tells me my other theory kicks in. That's just their nice way of getting out of town, getting out of Dodge. Well, then you've got to look at who's going to want to give them that kind of money. And you're really you're going to mortgage the, f- the future, even though he is a, a 21, 22-year-old kid. Uh, because they're going to have to, they're going to ask for an arm's ransom. Um Whoever signs them, whether they give them an offer sheet or not, you're, lock, you're probably looking at one or two first-round picks. There, there, was a, uh, there was a very interesting article by, I think it was Elliot Friedman. Um, he did some analysis of, of um, top what, what Stanley Cup teams in the last 10 years have paid their top four players. And generally, it's between 35 to 38%. We're talking about the Washington Capitals. We're talking about... Um, the LA Kings, we're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. The team that's gone the highest in terms of their salary cap is the Pittsburgh Penguins. $43 million. Yeah, which is about 40, it's about 44 to 45% of their salary yeah, cap. Okay. pretty high. If, if the Leafs even wanted to go that high, if the Leafs even wanted to go that high, uh, and after having paid Tavares, um, you know, they got to bring in the next three guys in for less than $30 million. Good luck. Right? And Burke's making, Burke, Burke was, Berkey was making this, because uh, this is becoming a numbers game, right? And I think that's why, because when Dubas is negotiating Nylander's contract, to a certain extent, he's negotiating Marner's and Matthews at the same time. This is the canary in the gold mine, in the coal mine, as they, the, as they say. And... If he, you know, if he could go to eight, if if there was a scenario where he could go to eight, eight and a half, even though he's overpaying him, and still bring Matthews in, and still bring Marner in, and still have a competitive team, I think they'd probably consider it. But um, based on historical precedent with with the other Stanley Cup teams, 
you know, that that's pretty tough. Lou, you've played in the NHL. You've seen stars, uh, guys who th- who uh, are the peacocks in dressing rooms, uh, Hall of Famers. Um, if you think that you're multi-talented, how important is it to you to be the top dog in the dressing room? And, well, and, and, and how much... And, and, and the interesting part about this negotiation is not even whether um, William Nylander wants to be the top dog in the dressing room. Maybe his father wants him to be the top dog in the dressing room. And this, and this is not where it's going to happen in Toronto. It's really not going to happen. And the one example that I can use is back uh, back in the, in the 80s with the Washington Capitals. Scott Stevens knew he was never going to be the top dog with the Washington Capitals since Rod Langway was there. And he decided at all costs, I'm moving on. And that's where he signed the the five-year deal with St. Louis uh, at a million change, which is which was enormous at that time. Because <laughs> he knew that he wasn't going to be the top dog in, in Washington as long as Rod Langley was there. And he went out and built his own identity in St. Louis. And then obviously uh, the success that he had in with Jersey. With, with Jersey. Um, because people so, forget, you know, these guys, these athletes, when you get to be a world-class athlete and you get to the place where Nylander is, where Marner is, or where Matthews is, or where Tavares is. You've never been a second banana ever in your life. Where is where is Nylander uh, in the top? Is he in the top of any other team, any other team in the league? Like, would he be the top player on any other team? I, I, I don't I really think don't, so. I, I don't think so. He'd be closer my, my, my in some you, situations. What? Montreal? Montreal? Mon- yeah. Montreal could be a, yeah. a, a I mean, prime place. I mean, he, he, he might not be the top player right off the bat, but he'd be closer. And, and, and the ceiling for him, I mean, he's got, you know, he's got Matthews and Marner. Like, you know, and Tavares. And Tavares. Yeah. Like, I can't ever. Arizona? I, Arizona. Yeah, those are the type I mean, of they're, teams. I mean, they're, you know, of. Carolina. Uh, there, there are other teams in the league where he'd be closer to being the alpha dog. Um um, I just, you know, going back to, to your point, uh, uh, Lou, you, you get a guy like Leanlander, he's always been, the, you know, probably since he was three years old, the best player on his team. And he's always been the focus of attention. And I'm sure his father sees the way, if, you know, fathers, and I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know this for a fact to what extent his father's involved in the negotiations, and perhaps it's even unfair. No, uh, it's not. Uh, well, whatever. It, it's we're, not. We're, th- we're theorizing, let's put it that way. Uh, we, I mean, we saw what Eric Lindros went through w- Did you with play his with parents, Nylander? right? No, I didn't, I didn't play with Michael. Uh, he, he came in right at the tail end of my career. Now, here's another, if you want to look at another perspective. Um, Every day that he's missing, he's missing eighty thousand dollars. Well, it's not that much, is it? It's put, it, put, put, put the numbers together. Put, you uh, put six and a half million. Let's say six and a half million divided by three sixty-five. Divided by one ninety-one. It's 191 days in the. He's it's not three sixty-five. He's losing no. based on the six six million dollars yeah. he was it's, losing. It's well, that's right because they don't. It's get, from the yeah. first day of the yeah, year yeah, till the uh, till yeah. the last game of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but again, can you afford to sit out? A week to two weeks, and history shows that players that have come in after being holdouts either get injured or have an off year. Okay, guys. Uh, unfortunately, our shows come to an end, so we'll be back in next again next Sunday. Hopefully, William Leanlander has signed by next Sunday. Somehow, I, I'm not so sure that's going to happen, but uh, we give all the best to everybody. Toronto Wolfpack.
Go Wolfpack. Last well, go Bills again. <laughs> to all listeners, have a fantastic And fan. gobble, gobble for Thanksgiving <laughs> tomorrow, guys. Happy <laughs> Thanksgiving to all.